0: Last week, uh, we started chapter 24, starting in verse 3, the Olivet Discourse, the, the one of the last of the big speeches that Jesus gave to his disciples before his death. And, uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot to this. I'm going to do verses 3 through 14 over again because there are questions that we still didn't answer last week. And we could probably stay on this particular passage for the next year and not cover everything, but we're not going to do that because yeah, my brain hurt yesterday when I got done typing everything out. So, uh, the question that the disciples ask in verse three is really, really important. And the question was, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age there's an issue that we have with Jesus' answer. And it's not because Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. It's because we have a hard time understanding what Jesus was talking about. Jesus told them about things that were going to happen, and he kept referring to things that would occur in this generation. Well, the issue that we have is because a generation is approximately 40 years and we are way outside of 40 years from when Jesus said this. So this, this causes us to do some interpretational acrobatics to try to put Jesus's answer into our understanding. So I want to look at verses 3 through 14 again so that we can do a little bit further digging into what this Means. So if you would stand with me for our scripture again this morning. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. Father, once again, we ask that as we go through your word this morning, that we handle it properly, that we understand that this is your word to the church for eternity. Father, help us to be good students, good learners, and good worshipers today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So I told y'all last week that I have not studied this to a point of being 100% settled and confident in my understanding of this passage, right? I said that. Keep that in mind. Um, When it comes to this prophecy in in chapter 24, there are essentially three different camps, three different groups of, of thinking. The first group considers... Chapter 24, at least through verse 35, to be talking about the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 A.D. Um, the, the reference in verse 30 is a reference to Jesus' ascension into heaven. We'll get to verse 30 uh, next week, I believe it is, or maybe the week after. Um, the second group, so, so this end, All of chapter 24, or at least the first 35 verses, are talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. The second group, all of this is about Jesus' return at the end of time. Okay? That's the second group. Can you guess where the third group is? (laughs) Right here in the middle. Somewhere between the other two, that there are parts about the destruction of Jerusalem and parts dealing with Jesus' second coming. Um it would be really great if i could point at either one of the three camps and say they're wrong but i can't because all three of them point to and interpret scripture very well there are solid pros and cons for all three positions me personally if there is an extreme to the left and an extreme to the right i tend to find that it's probably closer to the middle that I need to be. So that's kind of the option that I'm going to take, is that understanding in the middle. But here at the beginning of the chapter, that question there in verse 3 is really, really pivotal in understanding at least this part of Jesus' response. Especially the second portion of the question. They ask the question, when will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, first, there is a link between Jesus' coming and the end of the age, right? The the, the two are linked by an and. They didn't. It's what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. They're tied together. But there's a question that that brings to mind. And that question is, what age are the disciples talking about? And what age is Jesus talking about when he gives the answer? Are the disciples talking about the end of the age when God's kingdom is going to be established on earth? Are they talking about something else? And as Jesus gives his answer, is he talking about when God's kingdom is going to be established or is he talking about something else? Many people consider the end of the age to be a reference to the conclusion of history, the conclusion of the the world as we know it, the coming of the new Jerusalem. The kingdom of God is established on earth or the new heaven and the new earth. That's what most people think of when they think about the end of the age. Um, and that is because of that whole tie between Jesus' return and the end of the age. So at least in the mind of the disciples, those two things are linked together. So that helps us to understand what age the disciples were talking about. They are talking about the establishment of God's kingdom, period. But then we have to look at Jesus' answer. If you flip over to the book of Luke... In chapter twenty-one, starting in verse twenty four, and let me get there too. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up to verse twenty. Oh, by the way, this is Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse. Chapter 21 verse 20 of Luke Luke, uh, Luke records for us, Jesus says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus says something about the time of the Gentiles. Okay? He also mentions back there in verse um, 21 the days of vengeance. So there are different periods of time that Jesus is talking about. The days of vengeance, the days of the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles. So Jesus understands that Israel's history, or I should say in in better terms, the church's history is broken up into periods of time. if there is a time of the Gentiles and there's a time of vengeance that kind of introduces the time of the Gentiles, what does the, the days of vengeance end? The time of the Jews. Who was in charge of Jerusalem? By and large, Rome was, but Jerusalem was still held as the capital of Israel, the capital of Judea. It was a Jewish location. That's what, y'all know that's where Jew comes from, right? It's an abbreviation of Judahite. Somebody from Judea? Okay. So, there is an end of the time of the Jews in Jerusalem that is marked by the destruction of Jerusalem, which ushers in the age of the Gentiles. So, it is at least... Probable that Jesus' answer, all of the stuff that he talks about in the rest of Matthew 24, flip back there because we're going to need that, uh, again, a lot today. At least a good part of the stuff that he talks about in Matthew chapter 24 is dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, We have the end of the Jews with the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus talks about the the days of the Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles, right? What happened in 1947 that made world news? (laughs) Israel came back to the promised land. So that leads us to a whole other uh, discussion concerning the age of the Gentiles. We'll talk about that later. Last week, we, we read the rest of this chapter and I talked about the, the things that Jesus said would happen, that, that people would come saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead people astray, and there'll be news of wars and rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed because these things must take place. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of the birth pains. If, Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, then that's a whole different context for those things that he says is going to happen than if he's talking about the end of the age and the establishment of God's kingdom. Right? Again, a lot of people, when they read this, they tend to think about this destruction, the wars, the famines, the earthquakes, the disasters, everything that's going on in the context of where we live. because How many of you watched the news or heard the news at least once this week? At least once. Were there any earthquakes this week? I don't remember hearing of any, but I'm sure there were. Where? Okay. There was an earthquake in California. All right. Anybody at war with one another? Country-wise. Slightly. Yes. Pick one. Right. Famines going on around the world. Yes. Right. North Korea has a famine going on because of their government. They have had for a long time. So all of this stuff, when we read about rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines, we read about it and we think about it in the context of today. But I want you to think about something here. Jesus wasn't talking to Today, he was by virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit has preserved scripture for us, but he was talking to the disciples and he was framing his answer in the context of the disciples. Now, in our world today and, and for probably about the last 200 years, we have had the ability to get news quickly. Now, think that 200 years ago it wasn't as quick as it is now, but in relative terms, it was quick, right? With the the advent of uh, the, the telegraph and the telephone and then wireless radio and television and the internet and even the, the postal system. When, when the, the pioneers were, were out forging their way out west and you had the Pony Express carrying mail and then we had the highway system and the trains were able to carry mail and all of this stuff, news has been able to travel very, very quickly in our world. In fact, I remember being told when I was in school that with all of this technology, the world has gotten smaller. Right? And it really has. It has gotten smaller. It's gotten smaller in means of travel. It has gotten smaller in means of communication. So we are able to hear about an earthquake relatively quickly or a war, or a hurricane, or a tsunami, or, or any one of these disasters, they're really pretty commonplace. I mean, I asked the question, who's heard the news this week? And everything that Jesus talked about, we've heard about happening. All the way around the world. But Jesus was talking to first century Israel. A people group inhabiting an area about the same size as Maryland. How many of y'all have ever been to Maryland? It's not a big state. Maryland is a very small area, right? And he's talking to people who are living in Maryland, a a country the size of Maryland, in the middle of a desert, without a highway system. Now, they do have the Roman roads, which are in some places paved with cobblestones. In other places, they're just a path through the desert, through the sand a people group who are relatively isolated from the rest of the world by their own actions because they follow the dietary laws and, and they've kind of cut themselves off from Gentiles, a people who don't have telephone, telegraph, trains, planes, or automobiles. They don't have a means to get that news from place to place. And Jesus says, you're going to hear about this plethora of people coming who say, I am the Christ. Prior to Jesus showing up, how many people do we have recorded in Scripture who ever made the claim to be the Christ? In Scripture, we don't hear about any. There may have been people who were called that, right? We know that uh, King Darius was called Messiah by God. He was the anointed one who allowed Israel to return, to rebuild Jerusalem. Sorry, that was Cyrus, not Darius. Um, I knew that didn't sound right. I had to rewind it. Um, So for them to expect to hear people popping out of the woodwork, jumping up and saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, that's weird. That's odd. That's not normal for them to get news of wars, nation against nation. There weren't that many nations that they were in contact with. There was Greece, there was Rome, there was Asia Minor, which is all a Roman province, right? There was Syria, there was uh, Ethiopia and Libya and, and Egypt. And that was about it. That was the sum total. But Jesus says, you're going to hear about war after war after war, nation against nation, and famines and earthquakes. How are they going to hear about this stuff? It's it's not like he's telling Peter, hey, you're going to get a whole lot of Twitter updates about this stuff going on in the world. Because if he had said that, Peter, it would have been recorded for us, because this is Peter. What's a Twitter? right? If this was going to happen and they were going to hear about all this happening, it was going to happen very close to them because that's the only way the news would be able to travel to where they could hear it. And, and it, it would happen in a short time frame, because it might take a month to hear that there is a conflict between these countries. Oh, by the way, Jerusalem was not a seaport town like Gulfport. So it's not like they'd have ships sailing in carrying the news to them. If a ship sailed into the region, there was a long trip by desert to get to Jerusalem. If the people would make the journey, it was because they were interested in selling things, not because they were carrying the news. This kind of leads us closer to this idea that at least this part is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's talking about something's going to happen in a localized area, in a localized time frame, say, a generation. And Jesus says that this would be the beginning of the birth pangs. There would be more to come to indicate the end of the age of the Jews, which culminated with the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., And when I say there's more to come, it's because the signs that Jesus lists here become personal. He's talking to the disciples. He says, things are going to get bad for you. You're going to be hated by the nations. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by the nations for not my name's sake. Have you ever read the book of Acts cover to cover? If you haven't, I encourage you to. It's a great book, right? It's not like the book of Numbers that's hard to read. It's it's actually a pretty gripping story from end to end, right? I encourage you to read the book of Numbers too, but I understand it's Numbers, right? Um, If you read the book of Acts, you think about the history of the church in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, as Jesus put it, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. you can see that these persecutions that Jesus was talking about took place. James, brother of John, son of Zebedee, son of Thunder, was executed by Herod because of his faith in Christ. Stephen was stoned to death. According to church tradition, of the 11 remaining disciples who walked the earth with Jesus, not including Matthias because we don't hear anything else about him in Scripture, not including Paul because he wasn't one of the original 11. Judas is already dead. Of the original 11, 10 of them suffered a martyr's death. The only one who didn't was John who presumably died of old age, not for lack of the Romans' effort. Peter was crucified upside down at his insistence, according to church tradition, because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified the same way Christ was. Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. You read through the book of Acts, you hear about the the Jews, and by extension, not just the Jews, but the Christians who are of a Jewish background, being exiled from Rome during the reign of Claudius because of a rebellion which was a fight between the Jews and the Jewish Christians. Uh, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, on Paul's missionary journeys, this is like the whole second half of the book of Acts, right? So Paul and Barnabas go to a town. What happens? Paul preaches in the synagogue. Everything's going good. People come to Christ. The Jews get mad. They raise up a mob. They chase him out of town. He gets to the next town. He preaches in the synagogue. What happens? People come to Christ, the Jews get mad, they chase him out of town. To the point where he's even taken outside of town in Lystra, I believe it is, and stoned to death. You can name all the places. When they were in Cyprus, when they were in Iconium, when they were in Pergamum, Galatia, uh, Phrygia, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, Ephesus, Corinth, Athens. Every place they stopped, they were hated by the nations. The local government in in Corinth, the local government, because of the stink that the Jews were raising, the local government came and said, can you please go away? They were chased out, driven out, everywhere they went. And Jesus says, you'll be hated by all the nations for my namesake. Huh. Jesus also said, um, Verse ten, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Do we have any record of that happening within the first century church? You ever read first Corinthians? <laughs> Paul says, you have Grace and peace to you, I thank God for you every time I pray, and yet I'm hearing that there are divisions within the church. You say I follow Apollos, you say I follow Paul, you guys are all sanctimonious, say I follow Jesus. Bickering and fighting, bickering and fighting. Hatred within the church. Divisions within the church. Paul's letters to Timothy. Timothy, watch out for false teachers. Timothy, watch out for these guys who engage you in endless debates about stuff that doesn't matter. Don't get tied up in genealogies. Don't get tied up in this stuff. Everything that Jesus talked about happened within that generation. Even though we tend to think of the first century as the golden age of the church. Have you, have you ever thought that? Men, I really wish, I really wish the church was still running like the church back in the book of Acts. Hmm. No. Corinth. <laughs> Galatia. Right? That letter. The one that Paul doesn't start by saying, I thank God for you. Paul says, hi, it's me, Paul. Are you guys stupid? It did not take very long for heresy to run rampant through the church. I mean, in Galatia, the heresy of the Judaizers. Right in Philippians and First, Second, and Third John, both Paul and John are dealing with the same heresy. It's called Docetism. the The heresy of Docetism. Just to, to fill you in, because I see a lot of blank stares. What's that? I heard of that one before the heresy of docetism teaches that jesus wasn't really a man he was spirit not flesh purely spirit he looked like he had flesh he made us think that he had flesh but he was really a spiritual being so paul writes to the philippians and he says that jesus who really ate and really slept and really talked it wasn't just an apparition Spirits don't have a need for food. Right? You remember when Jesus met the disciples on the on the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection? What was he doing after he was after he, he got them out of the boat? He was cooking fish and he ate breakfast with them. Right? The the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He prayed and he broke bread with them. He ate with them. And their eyes were opened up, and they realized who they were talking to, and they hightailed it, and they left Jesus with the bread. This is a direct assault on the atonement. If Jesus wasn't a man, if he wasn't fully man, his death would not have worked. That's a pretty serious heresy. Paul's writing about it 20 years after Jesus' death. Think about that. starting to fall this way on chapter 24. That at least this part of the book, Jesus' answer, the age that he is talking about, is the age of the Jews that ends with the destruction of Jerusalem. Now the good news. Look at verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. That doesn't mean that you have to endure to the end in order to be saved. Rather, Jesus is saying that those who persevere through the falling away, through the persecution, through the hatred, through the division, through the strife, those who remain faithful are the ones who are saved. Remember my reference to Matthew chapter 7? the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that on that day there will be those who come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this, do that, do the other thing in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. They're the ones who don't persevere. They're the ones who might be part of the visible church, but they're not part of the body of Christ. They may come to church every time the doors are open. They may sing in the choir. They may give for the offering, they might preach, they might teach, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. Jesus says those who do are the ones who will persevere. And then last but not least, probably the biggest reason that people consider this to be talking about the future kingdom and the ultimate end of this age is because in verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Has the gospel been preached to all nations? No. We know for a fact that there are still uncontacted people groups in the heart of Africa and the heart of South America who have not heard the gospel yet. So obviously, this has to be talking about the future end state, right? You guys know me too well. It's not that obvious. The word that is translated as nations, there in verse 14, is the word ethnos. Sound familiar? Ethnicity. Ethnic. Right? That word means people groups. The phrase whole world in the Greek specifically is used more times than not to refer to the Roman Empire. Not the globe, as we know it. Remember, 21st century America, with all this technology at our fingertips, the world is this big. I can communicate with somebody on the opposite side of the planet right now. Jesus is talking to first century Israel. The whole world was the known world in relation to Israel. That's not to say they hadn't sent explorers out into the Far East and people hadn't traveled over to the the American continent, to North America, to South America. We know those things happened, right? We've got archaeological proof about the Vikings and Native Americans and so on and so forth. There were people there, but we're talking about the world in relation to Israel. In that context, uh, the book of Colossians, Paul writes this statement in Colossians 1 verses uh, the second half of verse 5 to the first half of verse 6. He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. Paul wrote that in AD 62 before the destruction of Jerusalem. The whole world same phrase, he was talking about the world in relation to Israel. Macedonia, Greece, Rome, Asia Minor, Palestine, Cyprus, Crete, even North Africa, the world. Prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the gospel had been preached to all people groups within the known world of Israel. If not by the disciples directly, then by those who heard the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Because remember, the day of Pentecost is one of those few feasts that the Jewish man is required to attend in his lifetime. They would come to Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, what did Peter do? He preached the gospel. And 5,000 were saved that day. That's 5,000 people from all over that area of the known world, That, that crescent there around Eastern Europe and Western Asia and Northern Africa. That area had heard the gospel. So up to this point in the Olivet Discourse, we don't have any reason to believe that Jesus is speaking about anything up to here other than the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age of the Jews. but Remember, in the disciples' question, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus hasn't come back yet. So we still have that part to deal with. As we start in verse 15 and go through verse 28 next week, We're going to look at uh, a few more of the signs that Jesus is talking about. And I think that's where we start moving from the destruction of Jerusalem over here more towards the establishment of God's kingdom, right? Remember, I'm the guy who's standing here in the middle, that this chapter is about both. So for next week, I'm going to do it to you again. I'm going to assign you homework, verses 15 through 28 of Matthew 24. Sometime this week, read those. Read those once or twice or three times. And we'll see what we can make of the next section of the Olivet Discourse when we come back next week.